He has gone from a bruising linebacker to a banker to the mayor of Phoenix City, and the Lord had a lot to do with that. He's going to tell you all about his story coming up. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. Welcome in once again to another edition of Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and I am pleased to have a special dear friend of mine, the mayor of Phoenix City, Eddie Lowe, joining me here in our studio today. And Eddie, thank you for agreeing to come and just share your heart with me today. Thank you, Phil, so very much for inviting me and giving me this opportunity. It's uh, highly important to me. I know you and I had scheduled it before things happened, but... uh, by God's grace, we're here right now where we're supposed to be, and, it's, and I do believe that it's ordained. I agree, and uh, I'm looking forward to what we're going to uh, hear in your personal testimony as we go uh, forward. And the, the first thing that, we, that I always pretty much do when I'm talking to someone, I may know a lot about you, but I don't assume that those who may be listening know as much as I do. So, uh, And you're also going to be able to, to enlighten me about some of your early years, because I always say, take me back to your childhood, <laughs> take me back to your growing up years. Uh, you know, I know f- from, you know, my uh, personal uh, uh belief is that that it, it's good for you to go back and review and look mm-hmm. at the times in your life where you can see where the Lord's hand, you know, led you and directed you and steered you. Uh, and especially when you go back to your childhood and your early formative years when the mm-hmm. Lord was introduced into your life. So that's the part that I, I wanted to start with with you. So tell me about your early early life. Uh, you know, I, I'm from Phoenix City, Alabama, mm-hmm. raised in uh Born in Columbus, Georgia, at the uh, medical center. Okay, um, come from a household of James and Betty Lowe. Uh, my dad, James, uh, he was a brick mason. My mom, uh, after I got in the fourth grade, uh, which I'm the youngest of the six siblings, uh, after I got in the fourth grade, she went to work because my dad just thought it was important those early years that uh, right. uh, you know she stayed at home. So your dad was a brick mason. He, he was a brick mason. My grandfather was a brick mason. It's, a, it's an awesome trade, and it's a skill. And uh, But he was a brick mason, and uh, my mom, after she started working when I was in the fourth grade, she worked at S&S Cafeteria. And in fact, uh, on the way over here, I looked over there, and, and now it's a uh, auto business, uh, mm-hmm. rims and tires. And uh-huh. I looked over there, and I thought about that then. Uh, that my mom used to work there at S and S cafeteria, but as I stated, I was born in Columbus, Georgia, in the hospital. Of the six siblings, it was only two of us that was born in the hospital. That was Woodrow and myself. Uh, of course, me being the youngest. Of course, Woodrow is the fourth oldest one, but the other four siblings was born at home. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, grew up in South Phoenix City, in in in, uh, in uh, back then in. Uh, my parents, uh, who, as I stated, worked uh, very hard for us. Uh, if we didn't have anything, we did not know it. Uh, and, and, and went to high school uh, at Central, went through all my years in public school system over in Phoenix City, uh, Alabama. And growing up, my, my dad kept a lot of positive pressure on the boys. It's you know, three boys and three girls, and mm-hmm. he was a little bit linear with the girls. <laughs> but with the boys, he uh, 
he, he kept a lot of positive pressure. And, and, and some people may ask, what is positive pressure? It's making sure we did those things that was right and wholesome and decent and uh, with a lot of integrity and character. So I, I learned that from my, my mom and dad. And Sound like a good description of you. <laughs> I don't know, but my mom, um, I learned how to be very fair in watching her in the neighborhood. Uh, there was a lot of kids always hung around our house, and uh, whatever she would give me, she would give them. And I can remember vividly, Phil, uh, hot summer, school out, we outside playing, and we all rush in the house and want some Kool-Aid and all the kids. And my mom actually poured the Kool-Aid for everyone in a glass, lined the glass up and poured the Kool-Aid in on the table, and she actually bent down to make sure all the levels of the oh, Kool-Aid wow. was. <laughs> and I didn't like that because here I am, her biological son, <laughs> and, you know, I thought I should have gotten more. Special treatment. Yes, exactly, yeah. more. Mm-hmm. But uh, she, she was did fair-minded. Not, she was fair-minded, and she was stirring on that day with me, and, and I learned from that example how to be fair and wholesome with people because mm-hmm. uh, that's what we're going to be judged on. Mm-hmm. But as I was stating by my dad, it kept a lot of positive pressure on the boys and taught us to uh, the spiritual way, uh, taught us how to love people, taught us how uh, to stand on the table when it was time to stand on the table. But very, very few times you should stand on the table for yourself. You should stand on the table for other people. And I learned that from him. And uh, he strongly encouraged us. He, he he or my mom did not have a formal education. In fact, they grew up as sharecroppers. But they never complained, never moaned or groaned. But they always taught us how to be fair, respect people, the golden rule, regardless. And uh, uh, I, I really learned that. And I get emotional. I bet you do. Uh but Powerful moments when you think back to those days oh, and the yes. impact years later that those seeds yeah. that were planted still growing in you today. Exactly. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about people. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's all about people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I can remember my dad telling, telling the boys, that, uh, you know, you do not have to answer the way people treat you. But you have to answer the way you treat them and treat them with dignity. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, I get a little emotion, but that's it's true. Powerful. It's that's true. powerful. Yes. Where did he get the wisdom that he imparted to, to the family? You know, for him not to be in a, didn't did not have a formal education, but he had an education. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably some of the best education is, you know, what he had to learn. But, you know, his parents was very, very spiritual, spiritual value. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would always say whatever he was doing, it was meant to do, but he had to do it with the right attitude. So we were all taught that. But he would stern as far as the positive pressure. And I can remember uh, when you get a certain age, he wanted us to go to work with him. Uh I think I was about 12, and my oldest brothers both told me what they expect, but I did not know the full detail. <laughs> and I can remember going to work with them and doing some barracks or something out in 
Fort Benning, I was about 12 or 13, and, you know, they up a certain height, which mean, to me it seemed like it was too high. Mm-hmm. Well, they had something like a two-by-six where I had to make the mortar, and I, I, I promise you, Phil, I, you know, I thought that the way they were asking for that mortar, I was thinking to myself, they must be eating it. <laughs> but I did not have the courage to say anything. Uh-huh. And we were up, and they had the two-by-six run from one building to the other. And you know how the weight of a wheelbarrow, when you put the mortar in, and the board would sway. And in my mind at that age, I'm thinking it's going to break. And so when I get halfway out there, it starts swaying, and I start trying to back up, and my dad stood up, stopped what he was doing. He said, you better bring it over here. <laughs> you better not. But he was teaching me faith. He was teaching me that if you got something to do, you have to do it. And he stopped completely and stood up because he could tell what I was doing, and he sternly said, you better not take another step back. But I learned from that. Mm-hmm. And so he was that kind of man. And, and as I stated, he just kept a lot of positive pressure on us to be wholesome men, mm-hmm. uh, to always not to complain, to think of other people more than you do yourself, and to always realize that no matter what is done to you, you have to do the right thing. Now, he would caveat it. Now, he didn't use the word caveat, <laughs> but he would say that there are times, and that's where the phrase comes from, you, you have to get on the table. But when you do that, it's more for a holistic approach than just for yourself. And I, and I learned that, and I, I believe to this day, uh, the quickest way to get ahead is to build the people up around you and put them first. Now, mm-hmm. I know that goes kind of to what this world teach, but mm-hmm. it, it, it really is a uh, principle that he lived by and some principle that he taught all of us. What, um, what was instilled in you from the Bible? Even to this day, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Proverbs. Yeah. Uh, because you can bring it forth today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Today is the 29th of March, mm-hmm. and from that background to way to keep you accountable in uh, always knowing where you are and where you come from and what your purpose are is based upon the, your faith and the good Lord. And uh, I was learned and taught very early that uh, – each day of the month, most of the months have 31 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Proverbs have 31 cha- Chapter. chapters. Mm-hmm. And so for over <clears throat> X amount of years, every day I read whatever the date is, I read that book. Yeah. So it helps keep you accountable of the time that we need to sometime give our Lord and Savior. Reminds me of a story. Uh, Mark Richt, when he was coach at Georgia, mm-hmm. came here, and Sports Visions, Dale and, yeah, and DJ, exactly. uh, have their program and and honor the area football players and, and mm-hmm. invited that year Mark Rick to come. So here you are, a head football coach, major university, all of this sea of faces looking at you, and you've got an opportunity to recruit like nobody's business because mm-hmm. they're going to listen to every word that comes exactly. out of your mouth. 
what does Coach Rick do? Uh, and we had someone here, uh, Carlos Williams. Yeah. He, he was yeah. there that day and recording uh, what was taking place. And he came back with a tape and he said, Phil, you got to listen to this. He said, you got to hear what Coach Rick had to say. And as I started listening to it, I hollered and I said, we got a package that we got a story that we got to get on the air tonight. Mm -hmm. He basically said, um, gentlemen, I'm going to give you the best advice that I could give you as a head football coach. Um, go to the book of Proverbs in the Bible. And he, he told them exactly what you just told me. There are 31 chapters. There is a chapter for every day, whatever month you're mm -hmm. in. And if you'll start your day reading that chapter in Proverbs, it will help your perspective. It'll give you insight. It'll give you wisdom that you might need for that particular day. But again, he could have uh, talked about Georgia and the facilities and the records and the history and the legend. But... Mark Rick, and we know that recently he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and in fact, would love to have him, you know, come on and, yeah, and share his to. faith uh, with us about uh, on this podcast. But um, there he was with the ability and the opportunity to tell them anything he wanted to do, and he used that occasion to say, "Gentlemen, put your face in the Bible, and if you if you're uh, not sure where to go and where to turn." Go to the book of Proverbs, and you won't be sorry. So, My dad talked about that years ago, and I've been able to maintain that. Uh, and that's amazing that, you, you know, in college football, recruiting is the lifeblood. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, as I stated earlier, it's all about people. Uh, and for him to do that as a college coach, knowing that, Recruiting is the lifeblood mm -hmm. of that program. It speaks and says a lot about him. I because will. we know, when I say we, we as Christians, mm -hmm. know where our foundation is. Mm -hmm. And can't anything come before that. Mm -hmm. And for a college coach and the SEC, a high-profile coach to say that, that's amazing. It is. Um, how did... Uh, football become preeminent in your life because apparently it happened early on, but I, we know you played central <laughs> high school football. We're going to talk about your Alabama days and into the Canadian football league. I want to get to all of that, but um, was it, was it your dad? No, actually uh, my dad and my mom, they were, they believed in education and going to school was not a choice. Mm -hmm. It was demanded. Because they had enough insight, vision, wisdom to know mm -hmm. that their kid had to have a form of education. Mm -hmm. And very stern and positive pressure on that. So we grew up in a household that it was expected. And me being the youngest, I was able to see the modeling of my oldest siblings and my oldest two brothers. And... My dad really did not want me and, from my understanding, my other two brothers to play football. Really? Uh, because of the viciousness of it. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, he and my mom gave in. And so my <laughs> oldest brother, James, uh, was the one that started, I guess, the 
mindset for Woodrow as well as me. And I guess Woodrow passed it down to me. But my oldest brother, James, graduated in, uh, at Satchel Rod in 1966. And he went to play at Bethune-Cookman mm-hmm. uh, on a football scholarship. And I'm not sure if uh, any of us would have probably been able to go to college because, again, my parents worked every day. We, if we didn't have something, I didn't know it. But, uh, you know, college probably was not on their mind. Just at that time, getting a high school diploma was probably on their mind, right. and, and rightfully so. But my oldest brother, James, got a scholarship to uh, Bethune-Cookman in Florida and played there. And actually, and I, Woodrow uh, wanted to be a drum major. And Now, this is a story that my oldest brother and my oldest siblings and sisters say that my oldest brother James told me, said, no, you're not going to be a, 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 a major, not a majorette, but a drum major. Yeah. You're going to play football. So he, I don't want to say encouraged, but he strongly encouraged <laughs> Woodrow to play football. And after I saw that, uh, you know, I wanted to play. So, you know, we always played out in the yard, Sandlock. And so uh, Woodrow coached me. Uh, James coached him. Woodrow yeah. coached me. And some other kids in the uh, neighborhood. Uh, in fact, it was Jeremiah Castile and Billy Jackson, and we all wound up at the University of Alabama at around the same time. So that was I, some Sandlot football. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. Uh, it, it, it wasn't flag or two hand touch or whatever uh-huh. you call it. It was uh, tackle, tackle mm-hmm. and, and, without pads, without pads, and and that's why I think a lot of the toughness and the mental fortitude came from mm-hmm. us playing that way. But anyway, uh, because of Woodrow is when I got in football. And, and Phil, you know, I played, I started playing organized football with the uniforms on when I was eight years old. Wow. And I played until I was Youth 32. Football. Yes, I played until I was 32. Now, if you count the years in the front yard, Sandlot, mm-hmm. it was way longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I just develop a, a, a love for it. And uh, the greatest thing about it is uh, the amount of discipline that you learn from it and the mental attitude and, uh, and also how to treat each other on a team. Because, you know, all of us are on a team, whether it's at church, mm-hmm. whether it's at work, whether it's with a social club, it, it's, it's, we're all on a team. And the team look out for the team. So I learned all those values and principles from playing sports that if you make your team look good, you're going to look good. Mm -hmm. But it all goes back to biblical because life is just not about you. And the quickest way, and I believe this wholeheartedly, the quickest way to get ahead is to build the people up around you, make them look good. Mm -hmm. And I I wholeheartedly believe that. And I know I'm a kind of a, Utopia, Pollyanna person, but I, I just, I just believe that. Well, you've seen it played out, yes, and it works. It, it, it really works. So, who was the coach at Central when you were there? I played for uh, Coach Wayne Trawick. Okay. In fact, he just passed this uh, January, and you know, Phil, he and I, our relationship always stayed intact up until the day he died. Uh. Because once a coach is always a coach. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke at his memorial, one of the things that I said, and I, I learned this, my dad taught it, but he didn't put it in his phrase 
in Coach Trayward just helped enhance it more. Even to this day, and I share this at the memorial, that, you know, through life you have to suck it up. But you always suck it up knowing who gives you the foundation and the strength and the source. You can't moan and groan, bellyache and whine and play hurt. You just can't do that. Uh, so I learned that from him, but he was uh, he was uh, an amazing person. In fact, and I even said this at his memorial, to me he was the Martin Day Andy Griffith. And, you know, Andy Griffith, he never did anything when I watched it, and I love that oh, yeah. sitcom. Comes on right before our newscast yeah. every night. <laughs> I, it, it, he, he, he would take the blame, and he would always make the people around him look good, mm-hmm. and they get the credit. Yeah, and that's how Coach Trayvon was. In fact, I call him the Martin Day Andy Griffith. And so, my life only got enhanced based on what my dad was saying when I started playing for him. And so, I was very fortunate and, and blessed to be able to play for him. And you know, he coached for forty-one years and never mm. was a assistant coach. He's always been a head coach. And uh, our relationship up until the day he passed. Uh, we always stayed in contact, and, you know, I would even call him on certain situations and things. So once a coach is always a coach. Back in those days, <clears throat> was it um, platoon football, or, or if you were good, you played both ways? Uh, if you were good, you played both ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazing, though. <laughs> you can do that in high school, but once you got to college, it's like, whoo, how did I do that? Mm-hmm. Because – I guess you exerted more energy, but it, it you played both ways. So your positions at Central? I was a linebacker primarily, mm-hmm. and I would play some running back. Okay. Yeah, but I was primarily a linebacker. Fencer. Yeah. How did you get the um, attention of Bear Bryant? Now, well, I know that you went first to UTC, yes. right? At first, uh, you know, coming out of high school, I only weighed about 175 pounds. I'm bigger now than I ever have. I guess, you know, they said that typically happens the older you get. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I was but, about 150 when I graduated high school. But I uh, I weighed about 175 pounds uh, playing linebacker. Mm-hmm. I'd never been afraid, I guess, because of the training that I had with my older brothers. And so uh, when I graduated, uh, before I graduated, there was a school, Kansas University. I never will forget this. I was in the waiting room at the time working out. Uh, this this was after the season was over with. Because recruiting is then is not like it is now. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I'm up there working out. And this person comes in, walks in the waiting room and said, uh, uh, I was here. Do you know Eddie Lowe? And I said, yes, I'm Eddie Lowe. And he said, huh, you're Eddie Lowe? And so we talked for a little while. And then, you know, after he left, I never heard anything else from him. But And I think it was because so- I looked bigger on the film <laughs> than I did in person. <laughs> so uh, I wound up going to UTC. And I can tell you, Phil, how that happened. Uh, my junior year, uh, we were playing against Kendrick High School. And evidently I had a pretty good game. 
But Frank Sattler was the head coach at Kendra High School at that time. I remember Frank. Yep. Yeah. And, and of course, he coached Woodrow at Central High School. That's who Woodrow coach played for. He was the head coach at Central High School, and he coached Woodrow. But nevertheless, he was over at Kenrick. Uh, my junior year, we played against them, and it was a tough game. But I think we wound up winning by a field goal, something like that. And uh, I guess I had a pretty good game. Well, my senior year, Coach Saddle, uh, after that season, he left to go up to UTC to coach. Okay. Joe Morrison was the head football yeah. coach. And uh, – <clears throat> The person who signed me was Joe Lee Don from really? Columbus. Yeah. Played at Columbus High School, I think, or uh-huh. Baker. But Joe Lee was the one, that, and I'll get to that. Well, anyway, uh, I guess because of that, Coach Sattler kept his eyes on me, and he recruited this area. So they offered me a scholarship, and I can remember going up to take a visit. And he told me back in those days, you know, the shoes with the high soles on. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, listen, you need to go buy your pair of shoes. To, <laughs> and, and literally, he said. Extra and, thick soles. Yeah, and make you look taller. Uh-huh. So I did. They wore those shoes one time, Phil. <laughs> Black, white thread at the bottom of the highest sole. <laughs> and so I went out to get those shoes and went up there and took the, the trip. And uh, evidently, you know, he talked for me and I signed with the UTC. But where I signed my scholarship, man, Jolie Dunn came down. I signed at the Crystal Hamburger uh, place on 4th Avenue. It's Waffle King, a Waffle House now. But I signed my scholarship, and he gave me two Crystal Hamburgers, and we sat there and ate and talked. (laughs) My, how recruiting has changed. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing grandiose. My parents didn't go. I met him down there, and I signed my scholarship at the Crystal uh, Hamburger uh, restaurant on 4th Avenue, which is now Waffle King or Waffle House. And so uh, they believed in me. Of course, my heart was at the University of Alabama because uh, Billy Jackson, of course, Woodrow had played there. Mm-hmm. Billy Jackson, who's a friend of mine that uh, we live right across the street, uh, he was already over there. He came out a year before I did. And after me, uh, Jeremiah had committed to the University of Alabama his junior year, which was my senior year. So I knew he was going over mm-hmm. there. So that made me want to go over there even much more. However, I did not fit the profile uh, that they were looking for as a middle linebacker playing in the SEC. So lo Again, and behold, size. because of my size, mm-hmm. lo and behold, I wanted to go to Auburn so I can get back at Alabama. <laughs> but nevertheless, Auburn didn't want me. So UTC signed me, and, of course, at that time, you know, I could not refuse a scholarship because I knew my parents couldn't afford, Mm -hmm. you know, to pay for me to go to college. My oldest two brother had gone. So uh, I signed my scholarship, uh, as I stated. Uh, Joe Lee Dunn is the one that signed me and uh, go up there in 1978 and started as a freshman. Now, when was your first encounter with Coach Bryant? Uh, and I'm going to get to that. Okay, I'm, I'm well, jumping ahead. But anyway, uh, before I go up there, uh, we played the All-Star game in Tuscaloosa. And first time I ever played strong safety. Well, strong safety is kind of like a linebacker. But they could able to cover more receivers and all that. So mm-hmm. I did pretty good. 
And so at that time, it was too late. But I, evidently, I think Coach Straywood told me I got their attention. But nevertheless, you know, I wasn't going to turn down the scholarship. I already had signed. I couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't go back. So go up to UTC. Uh, had several guys from Columbus that was up there also. So I go up and then start as a freshman. Um, the Moccasins. U- UTC Mocs. Yep. Blue and gold. Yep. And so we're having a great year, the, the team was. And like I said, I started as a freshman. We were 7-0. and Had a chance to go to a bowl game. Well, the the year before that, we had a – there was a player, and I'm not going to call his name, but he was from up north Georgia who was a free safety. And, you know, when you go there and they do all – you can see all the film. Had an outstanding junior year. Mm-hmm. Projected to go in the top rounds, first few rounds. Kind of mm-hmm. like a Kenny Easley guy, uh, but fast and could really hit and smart. Well, in that business – you got to make sure your stock stays up here. Mm-hmm. His senior year was not going as well as he had hoped. Things, you know, things can happen. Uh, in that business, you got to be consistent. Well, anyway, his season, and he was able to see it, his season wasn't going as well as he thought it was, and his stock started dropping. And for, he was a leader, based, you know, based on his performance. And for some reason, uh, I never will forget this. After doing this, after the seventh game, we call a meeting, and for some reason, this person and the whole team, black and whites, was able to convince the black players uh, that we don't need to be going to practice anymore because we do not have a black or African-American or Negro, whatever you want to call, coach that's coaching. Mm-hmm. And most of the players, the black players, adhere to that. What my, year was that have been? That was in 1970. That was my freshman year. Okay. That was in 1978. Okay. And uh, that happened. Most of the guys then, we still continued to play. We lost the last four games. But – but I learned, and I was so grateful, Phil, of the, the, the positive pressure that my dad kept on, on me and, uh, for that particular moment. Because I learned right then that, you know, you have to take a stand based on that positive pressure and my dad teaching and coaching us and, you know, demanding us. Mm-hmm. And myself and another person who uh, was from Atlanta, I'm not going to call their name, he was a state mm-hmm. trooper, and I think he's retired now. He and I, two blacks, was the only two that stayed on the team. But I took a stand and I said, listen, I came here to get an education Mm -hmm. and to play football. I'm not going to join you all. And this other person took the stand. I said, it's amazing. Before any of us came here, we knew what the coaching staff was made up of, and who was the coaching staff that they recruited us. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not going to go with this. So I continued to practice, continued to go to class. It got so bad that, I mean, you were hearing it from both sides, yeah. black and white. When you go to class, if you go to Crystal, 
You know, that's when I found out Crystal was originated in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You go get a ham. I mean, you were just hearing it from everywhere you went. Uh, just all kind of racial stuff from both sides. And I said, this is not worth it. And my heart had been to go to Alabama. And I would talk to Billy Jackson every night. And he said, Eddie, you can play over here. You can play over here. He said, I'm telling you, you can play over here. And so my heart was already there. So when all that started happening mm-hmm. and it culminated, um, I said, I'm just not, it's just not worth it. Again, my heart was already leaning toward Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> and talking to Billy, he, he said, listen, I'm telling you, you can play over here. So uh, after that and all that happened, uh, when the semester was over with, uh, uh, close to being over with, I go and meet with Joe Morrison, who wound up coaching at uh, University of South Carolina and used to play for the Giants. And uh, ha- I was having a great year for you, outstanding year. And so I went and talked to him in his office and asked him about a release and, you know, told him. And you can tell, I could tell then how it had been wearing on him mm-hmm. because we were 7-0 and and lost the last four games. And I can kind of sense where it was wearing on him. And I just told him, you know, based on what I just shared, you know, just, you know, going here and there, you were just hearing it. And, and, and he granted me a release. That was in 1978, uh, in uh, November 1978, when the semester was over with. So in January of 79, I was at the University of Alabama and had to sit out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went through all the winter workouts. And the winter work at the University of Alabama is, a, like most schools, is a killer. It's worse than during the season. I went through the winter workouts, spring practice, and at the time I did not have a scholarship. And I don't know how it is today, but if you're a walk-on, they cannot command you to be at practice or at winter work. I never missed a workout. I, I went through the full spring practice. Uh and I uh, had to sit out that season. That was the year they won the national championship when they beat Arkansas. But I was on the Scrubini team, as they call it, <laughs> and, you know, going against the first offense, Dwight Stevens and all those guys. And and, and uh, the way I looked at it, I said, listen, if I can go out here and can do well against these guys, you know, maybe it, I'll get some attention. It and sounded that, like you had personal faith in you. Oh, of course, but it, but it came on my foundation mm-hmm. of of my foundation and my faith and my spiritual value. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ashamed, even as the mayor. Everyone knows what my spiritual values are, mm-hmm. and I I make no bones about that because I do know that's the foundation. And as I stated earlier, my, what my dad taught me, and all of us, is that you 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 do not have to answer the way people treat you, but you're going to have to answer the way you treat them. So you treat them the way God wants us to treat each other, respect, dignity, because you don't have to answer for them. And so I took that attitude even when I was walking on going against the first unit. I just said, listen, I never complained, didn't miss practice, went through everything. Didn't have to be there. Didn't have to be there because at that time, doing that, 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 uh, that past summer, I had worked and saved up some money, and I was able to pay, and my parents chipped in whatever they could. 
that whole semester of 1979, that whole from January until uh, school was out. And then 1980, when I could play, play uh, they signed me to a scholarship. And But it's, it's all because of faith. It's all because you believe in yourself because you believe in the Lord and Savior. Because, mm-hmm. you know, life is not about you, but, but I understood that I could do whatever anybody else do based on what his word says, what he says. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Exactly. And, but you had to be obedient. See, that's the key. Obedience is better than sacrifice, as we know. So mm-hmm. I was obedient in doing everything I supposed to have done over there. I was being obedient to his word. And by his grace and mercy, I signed a scholarship in 1980 and started playing. And uh, the junior and senior year started. And the Lord blessed me to wind up being Coach Brian last permanent defensive captain. Mm. So it's it's all about faith. It's, it's all about doing the right things and earning the right uh, by doing the small things. See, when you do the small things faithfully and honestly, mm-hmm. you earn the right to do the big things. And that's, that's, that's biblical principles, mm-hmm. and it works for everyone. And I just believe that fear wholeheartedly, and I'm not ashamed. And even as the mayor, people knows my spiritual value, and I don't apologize. We, when we became, when I became mayor, before every work session, before every council meeting, we 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 pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not ashamed, and now have I been attacked? It, yes, but guess what? At the end of the day, Eddie Lowe's gonna have to answer, not to you or them. And when you get to that pearly gate, and that book of life is open. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be in there. I was a vice president at Sonovas or CBNT, or I was the mayor, or I got my degree and played for Coach Bryant. That's what's going to be in there. How did I love Jesus? How did I treat people? How did I love my wife? Mm-hmm. That's what's going to be in there. And that was drive me, and I'm not ashamed of that. How do you instill that in the people that are in your circle? By being consistent and, uh, in, you know, I, I, I read and study a lot, work, but being consistent in my ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I first became mayor, you can tell when I go in the office, started going in the office, you can tell, or I could tell that, and how do I want to say this? I can tell that based on other things, they weren't sure of what kind of person I was or based on how others may have done things. Particularly if you've been there for years and you've seen certain things quite naturally, they can, you know, have the same mindset because you get in a political game and I don't call it. When I tell our council, this is a gig. We're in this gig to make a difference for people. But, you have to be consistent in your walk. You have to be consistent in your talk. You got to be consistent on how you treat people. And people will see that. And you can prove your sincerity by how you talk, act, and walk. It's just that simple. And what you do, you begin to have people to gravitate to you. 
and as you talk and as you say things spiritually, then they can begin to see. And this is the thing, Phil. You can you can take a non-believer. And if you live in those ways, you don't have to say anything to them. But if they start doing those things, it'll work for them. God will honor them. And you don't have to be a believer. And so your consistency, because I know this and I've learned this. You can't fool people. Now, they may not ever say anything. Mm-hmm. And and I've shared this with you know our team that at the city and even in Maine is what happens if you're trying to fool people. They won't say nothing. You're not gonna say nothing. And everybody's don't trust everybody, and they all trying to stay ahead. And I just don't have that kind of energy. We want to make a difference for the right reason with people, which is honoring God. See, you you it's impossible to love God and not love people. And you want to serve people, not just because you love people, but because you love God. And you have to be willing to be the sacrificial leader. And I am. I mean, that's what leadership is. That was That's what Jesus did. Who Sacrificial leadership you have to have for the sake of the whole, for the sake of the people, for the sake of the organization. And you may not get where a lot of people think you should be. So what? But you will have an eternal reward, and that's that's what I believe. But it's all about people. You, you have to have a sacrificial spirit to give it all for the sake of the organization, the team, for the Lord and Savior. He did it. The greatest model is to follow. It's to follow his. Give it all. Pardon me, Coach. I know that um, in this Faces of Faith podcast, I try to give people an opportunity to – shine a a spotlight on the faces of faith that have made made a difference for you who are your heroes of the faith that have allowed you to do and be who you are today i would have to say my mother and father they set the foundation they set the rules they set the guidelines and um you know i grew up in church now have i been perfect no i have not and the amazing thing, I hated Sunday school. <laughs> I literally hated Sunday school. They would make <clears throat> us go to Sunday I hated Sunday school. <laughs> How come? I, I didn't want to read, didn't want to <clears throat> participate. But my parents knew what was important in life. So my mother and father was the one. And, of course, you know, being around people of the same faith, uh, uh, Jeremiah Castile and myself, he, was, uh, he and I was roommates. Strong believer, mm-hmm. uh, stand on the table. How's he doing today? He's doing great. He's he's <clears throat> doing great. We're still close friends. Still talk. Where we were roommate for all the years at Alabama, and actually, because of our common denominator and our faith, he and I always say that was the only reason why we made it. Because let me tell you something: playing for Coach Ryan was tough. I can't speak on any other coach. But I do know this. When you got to the University of Alabama playing football for him, if you didn't know how to pray by the time you left, <laughs> you knew how to pray. <laughs> I can I can promise you that. He was fair and consistent. and uh, But you, we learned a lot of things. But my faith and my foundation, it came from my parents and being consistent with people. 
there are moments in our lives um, where you've seen God come on the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, when in some cases you pray and and a, and a, a miracle happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you put your finger on uh, some times in your life where you know God came to your rescue? Uh, yes, in, in 1979, I think it was maybe in 80, uh, Woodrow was playing with the San Diego Chargers. And he was going to camp and decided to drive from Phoenix, Alabama, to San Diego, California. Oh. It was four guys. It was him, a guy named George Thomas, a friend of ours that my mom raised, uh, myself and Billy Jackson. And my mom and dad raised Billy. Billy parents, uh, his dad wasn't in his life, and his mom died when he was about 10. So my mom literally took him, you know, took him in. Yeah. Well, all four of us was driving back to help Whitrow get to camp in this car. It was, I never will forget it. Two-door LTD. <laughs> Packed to the brim. Two in the front, two in the back. Mm-hmm. In the back, you had a TV that was turned uh, vertically where the passenger on the right side, he, you couldn't put your arms in your lap. You had to put your right arm on the left side. You had to put your right arm on the top. Uh-huh. And the passenger on the left <laughs> had to put, <laughs> and <clears throat> driving back, wanted to hurry up and get there. And the two in the front, one drive and the other one helped keep the other one awake. Mm-hmm. The two in the back, you sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm driving now for five hours, the two in the back, Billy is to keep me awake. And uh, the two in the back, and then after I drive, We'll switch out. He would drive, and I tried to keep him awake. And after that, we would get in the back, and those two would get in the front. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're tired, if you sleep five or six hours, it's only feel like you've slept 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, it was Billy's turn and my turn to get in the back to rest. Well, I'm quite sure Woodrow and George, they were driving – but I think they hoodwinked us and said, "Look, we've driven all our five hours. We, you didn't you didn't look at the time or anything. You just." Yeah. And I said, "Listen, I, it was my time to drive. I said I'm too tired to drive. We need to pull over and rest." And well, Billy said, "Look, I'll drive. I'll drive." So, make a long story short, we're going through Gillibean, Gillibean, Arizona, and I had an accident. And I mean, if you see the car, you would probably say, from the earthly standpoint. No one lived. I mean, total. Had to crawl out through the back of the trunk where the top had laid and on the hood. And, uh, I mean, you would not think anybody survived. The only thing happened to us, we were real sore the next morning. Not a scratch or not anything. And from that standpoint, I really realized that the Lord is in control of my life. Mm-hmm. And we all did. So that was a point because, you know, we were praying and, you know, everything. And I'm convinced to the day that he saved us by his grace mm-hmm. because that accident was horrific. What caused it? Billy <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> mm. Mm. And ever since then, Phil, when I'm traveling with someone driving, I cannot go to sleep. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the truth. The only person I could was my oldest brother, James, who uh, he's deceased now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I'm convinced from that standpoint. So he, he eventually made it to? He made it to camp and started yeah. practicing. Sore. Sore. Well, he was going to get sore anyway, <laughs> like, like he stated. <laughs> what about some things that um, that you know that the Lord's taught you uh, through your experience of life? Um, that if you were before, let's say, a group of football players like Coach Richt was, mm-hmm. and you had an opportunity to have their ear for, uh, you know, several hours, what would be some key points that you would want to pour into their their minds and hearts? The, the first thing I would tell them as a football player and as a football coach, I would say all the things you're supposed to say as far as playing the game. Mm. And – don't play for yourself. Play for your teammate. Make your teammate look good because if he looks good, you're going to look good. If the team look good, you're going to look good. I would say all those things. But at the end of all those things I say, and I will also say you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't like football. You have to love it. But I would transition that to God's word on having the character, having the integrity, having the compassion, being wholesome, treating people the way you want to treat them, follow the model of Jesus Christ. And he gave it all for the sake of a team, which is all of us. The greatest model ever been set out there. All we have to do is follow it. Because let me tell you this, I believe this, Phil, life is not about you. And as the mayor of Phoenix said, I share that weekly, Mm -hmm. that we are not in here for our own self-servants. We are here to make a difference. And I say this to him, if you're going to be making decisions based on getting reelected, you need to do me a favor and leave now because we got to be about the people's business. You, 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 this is not about you. It's about people. And what I would tell uh, football players is to build your foundation on God's word. It'll make you a, not just a better football player, but it'll make you a better person, and there's a plan that you will not fail with. Mm. Now, I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have some challenges. You're going to have those. But at the end of the day, you're going to be able to know what your foundation is, and you're going to attack them even much more confidently. And that's the walk we have to have. Mm. This goes hand-in-hand with it, but... um... How do you lean on your faith in your job as mayor of Phoenix? You have to do it every day because you're attacked. You're attacked every day. And sometimes it hurts because, you know, we're human. But you have to suck it up, put your game face on, and, and shake it off because this gig is not about you. And, and listen, I never had the intention of being a mayor. I never had any intention. If you had asked me 10 years ago, 9 years ago, I would have said, well, you out of your mind. Never, ever had that intention. And I can tell you what happened. The reason why I put my name in there is, uh, and this is the gospel truth, is that one day I'm at the bank, three different elderly people, and I don't think they knew each other, different times, 
And there were other people who would, you know, say things. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But this particular day, Phil, three elderly people over 85 different times was in the bank, saw me that I knew, came and said, listen, you ought to run for mayor. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, I'm too straightforward with that. That wouldn't last. And first person told me, that's just what we need. Somebody that's a believer and have some character and integrity. Then think about it. The same exact thing, the different ethnicities now. The same exact thing happened the second time. Same message. No. Same message back to me. That's just what we need. Mm-hmm. Third time that happened. After that person left, I said, now, wait a minute. What's going on here? So, you know, you pray about it and you start thinking about why is this happening? Mm-hmm. So I go home that evening and I always went to check on my dad and see my dad. And I was telling him about it. And I said, what do you think? He said, yeah, do it. You've always competed all your life anyway. But ultimately, when I went to talk to my wife and she gave me her okay, <laughs> that's when I threw my name in the hair. Uh-huh. And... Never had any attention. And lo and behold, I won. But, 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 but Phil, I'm telling you, it was ordained. And that's what I share with our council. This is ordained for us to be right where we are, to make a difference. Because if you're lead, leading and serving for self-gratification, you're in the wrong place. You have to be willing to have the arrows being shot at you. And you got to spread your wings when they do start shooting because it's about sacrificial leadership, because it's about the model of Jesus Christ. See, now, there are times, as I say, you have to get on the table, but it has to be for the holistic approach for the people that you're responsible for. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And so I have to do it every day because some of the things out there would get back to me and some of the things people are saying. And, and, and when I call people back, which I return every one of my phone calls, and some of the things in the language I hear, it's simply because I'm black. But you know what? Kill them with kindness. I don't have to answer the way you treat me, but I got to answer the way I treat you, and I'm not going to treat you that way. And that's what I get the thrill out of because you you, you get bruised up, but you got to realize what the long-term reward is, eternal rewards. This has been uh, an incredible hour. We were just shy of an hour, but... um we could go on for another hour. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed you uh, sharing from your heart, and that's what I try to get folks comfortable enough to where when they're talking uh, about their walk with the Lord that it comes out and comes across loud and clear, and, and your walk uh, certainly does, Eddie. I could call on you as a friend exactly in any situation, and I would know that if it was within your power, <clears throat> pardon me that you would you'd respond and and do anything you could for me i appreciate your friendship i appreciate no. your your uh integrity and uh the way that you are a reflection of the lord in in the community well i, I tell you um from a leadership standpoint in particular when you get in i call i don't call it politics when you get in this gig you have to want to make a difference for people because it's not about you. You can't make decisions based on you and what you can get. In fact, you got to give all that stuff away. And that's how I try to live each and every day. 
and I try to teach the people around me that way uh, through not just talking, but through my action. But, you know, when I have the opportunity to talk because, you know, we, we're going to have the answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, God wants us to love him and love people. And I can't love him and not love people. And I can't love people and not love him. Just doesn't work. Thank you for so much for this opportunity. And, and let's do it again sometime. We will. <laughs> uh, again, you've, uh, you've just um, enlightened folks who, who didn't know maybe what was on the inside of this guy that sits in the mayor's office in Phoenix City, uh, what's in the heart of the bruising linebacker at the University <laughs> of Alabama. It's still there, brother. Yeah, you had to turn it on and off. This. <laughs> I, I always enjoyed that. If people didn't know I played football, they couldn't tell – you know, by being around me. But when I got on the field, you had to turn the dial, dial it up. because I'm representing someone higher than me. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, thanks so much for being with Thank me. You. Thank you so much. This time of the podcast, we always remind you that whatever you are going through, always remember to keep the faith. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Amen. <laughs>